0: www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com.
1: I'm not somebody's lead like they're panning for gold. You know that all of that language, like prospecting leads, it all came from panning for gold, like hoping you'd find something that was worthy. This is the real bottom line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started.
0: Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. I'm delighted today that our guest
1: is Andrea Vanka of Andrea Vanka Training. Uh, What is the company name, Andrea? Welcome. Hi, good morning. Well, the official company name is Andrew Ivanka International, but a lot of the programs that we're running is under Total Boss Club. And we do a lot of playing with this Total Boss. We've got Total Boss Life, Total Boss Experience. And the whole idea is with a lot of the entrepreneurs that we work with is you're a whole person. So how do you take a look at everything that you're doing? So you'll find a lot of my stuff under Total Boss. (laughs)
0: That's so cool. And total disclosure, I am a member of the Total Blast Club. you yes, <laughs> are. Um, I like to start these um, interviews with a bit of a talk about your journey. And Andrea, your journey to this spot is fascinating because you're fearless, man. Like you've gone everywhere and done everything. So can you just give us a little line above where you went and where you, how you got where you're at?
1: Sure. I. My dad says I am the fault that he has white hair. And I say, well, he got me started reading when I was very young and I loved adventure and mystery and exploring the world. So as soon as I was old enough to do so, that's what I did. And so I spent pretty much from my early 20s all the way through to my early 30s, traveling, living around the world. And that was really where the entrepreneurial spark got born in me. Mm. I, I just, I found there were so many different ways to make money, do things differently. And it was both so much fun and terrifying at the same time because everywhere I traveled I went by myself I didn't know anybody I moved to Mexico in my early 20s ended up staying there for three years I ended up creating curriculum training other teachers I mean I look back now and I I think like god bless the lady that was the director of the school because here I was in my early 20s telling them everything they were doing wrong and (laughs) she (laughs) she's one of those people that I really think shaped the trajectory of my life because she said to me, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. And so right from then, it really impacted me that I could come up with solutions. And if I presented them in such a way that they made a difference, people would listen. So I ended up, at that point in my life, getting Macmillan Publishing, which is a really big publishing house, to fly me down to Mexico City from Monterey, donated a ton of material for the school. And so this whole way of looking at things really, I think, sparked from there. And then it became a fascinating journey to entrepreneurship through there. So do you want me to keep going? And oh, yeah, I'm just fascinated.
0: I love the uh, thought of what, when we're in our 20s, and we, it's almost like the that's like the best time because we haven't heard no or you can't do it enough so we don't know that yeah. it's not supposed to be possible
1: yeah yeah it's i am so grateful for the director of this school because of her i then ended up creating a curriculum that ran at the school for 10 years after i left which was pretty extraordinary and then they trained other teachers and then they trained other schools and so Putting together really experiential type learning situations has been a part of me for years and years. Even before that, I used to run programs at summer camps. And so, everything for me was how do you create an experience? How do you actually get people learning things in in a way that it gets into their bones, right? Like, I'm, you know, this about me, I'm a big nerd. I love reading. I read a couple of books a week, and I really think it's one of the things that makes me a better coach and just a better human being in general. But there's taking what you read and then applying it. Mm. So that that's been a big part of my journey. And so as as I bounced around the globe, I ended up was it 2008 somewhere around there in living in London in the UK, and I was helping co run a sailing meetup group. And this is really where the seed for coaching got planted. I would help fill these events. I didn't even really know, understand at the time, really that what I was doing was selling. I was yeah. just like, okay, we're, <laughs> we're going on these sailing excursions. You want to come along? This is what we're going to do. I would organize all the logistics. I'd connect with the local pub to make sure when they got off the boats at lunch, that there would be something to eat. I'd tell them what was there yeah. to do in the different places. Like It was just so fun. And one of the gentlemen that came on one of these trips said to me, you know, you'd make a really great coach. You're really good at getting people out of their comfort zone, doing really different things. Hmm. And I was like, what the hell's a coach? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> None. <laughs> my wife was sp- coaching with sports. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Did you do the sporting growing up? <laughs> yeah, no, not really. I, you know. <laughs> I was one of these kids that every year I was in something different. One year it was gymnastics, another hmm. year it was skating. Like I was just, fascinated with life and so no I didn't that's I was like are you talking baseballs like I had no idea yeah so when he planted the seed he actually owns one of the largest coaching schools in London UK Mm -hmm. and so he sat down he explained to me what it was and the seed got planted and about a year later when I was back in Canada after UK China all these other places I started looking into coaching and just fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I had gone through some pretty rough stuff in my life in that year in between, and some things I would never wish on any human being. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but I knew, like in that moment, I didn't want to be a victim of my life. I didn't want to be a victim of some things that had occurred. And coaching gave me a way to be very future-focused, to look at solutions, to be optimistic, to be positive—all of those traits that had always been a part of me. It allowed me to bring them out. So I was one of those lunatics that started a business by starting. I quit my job. I started. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. That's why I said you hadn't sold
0: the the net yet. You just took the leap off the ledge.
1: (laughs) <laughs> no, I, just, I was like, okay, this is amazing. There's so many people that are doing really great things, I can figure it out. And I remember sitting at the dining room table, visiting my grandma with my mom one day. I was like, I could make more money dancing on a pole down the street than I am at my job. So, what if I could do something different? And it's a little tongue in cheek, but it was one of those moments where I also realized in a very conscious way that money comes from a lot of different ways and it freed me from needing to be in a job that I was not enjoying, especially after I'd done all this training, yeah. I just wanted to get out there and help people. So it was, it was another one of those moments where something opened up in a different way. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah like it's the opening. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I always, uh, I wonder about the reaction because I remember when I became um, self-employed or whatever, my mom said, you're leaving a government job, <laughs> <laughs> right? You're like, but but that's secure
1: and mm-hmm. it's a for sure thing. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of that, yeah. a lot, Yeah. a lot from my family. I mean, if I was going to do it again, if I had met you before mm-hmm. I was starting my business, I would have done some things a little differently, like gotten the credit I needed and things like this to... To help me because once you become an entrepreneur and you don't have those steady paychecks coming in it yep. does become more challenging in certain ways to to get credit and things that you need for the business until you're more established yep. um so i would do that a little bit differently but overall i'm i'm grateful for the support that i did have and that was from my grandma and from my mom they believed in me yep. and it gave me an authenticity, obviously my partner. It gave me enough confidence that enough people saw something in me as well. It wasn't just me, Yeah. but from all other corners, oh man, my dad, my brothers, like even to this day, still my dad, well, what do I tell people you do? I'm a coach. Well, I don't get it. What does that mean? I help other entrepreneurs grow their businesses. I help them scale. I help them with communication skills and sales and and actually growing their confidence and things. And he's like, Oh, okay. Like <laughs> he doesn't really get it.
0: <laughs> well, if you think about it too, there's a generational thing and there's also a, cause there's such a shift from into the knowledge economy that you're fully into that uh, previous generations just ne- not necessarily always understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, now you're a coach but you have coaches. So tell me uh, your philosophy about lifelong learning, because you read a lot too. So Mm -hmm. I think that is a key, key value um, for entrepreneurs to keep growing and to be able to grow their business and to know things. So, yeah.
1: I just saw Michelle's comment popped up. You're absolutely right. It is challenging (laughs) for some people to understand. Well, when it comes to lifelong learning, I think there's a, a few things that happen. When we, when we first get into entrepreneurship for a lot of people, at least this is what I've, what I've experienced and I went through this myself, there's this sense of, oh, I'm doing something, it's new, it's cool, it's creative. And then there's also this need for a little security of, oh, is this really gonna work? How is it gonna work? Uh, am I good enough? All of these kind of thoughts. And when you look at kids, when they're learning new things, when they're playing and having fun, there's a joy to learning just for the sake of learning. And I think sometimes when we become adults, especially when you're starting a business, when you're an entrepreneur, there's almost like this, this push-pull of needing to be the expert, needing to be the one that knows your stuff so that other people trust you, that they can come to you. So how do you actually merge that, excuse me, with being open and a learner. And I think this is where the personal development of deciding long in advance of what does it mean for your life to be a learner? What does that mean? Because I look at learning for myself and and you can take this with a grain of salt. This is my philosophy. Um, It makes life a lot more interesting. I look at life and I go, there are so many things in this world that I will never experience that I will never see but I am going to do my best to experience as many of them as I can and so I find the kind of things that I love learning about personal development, neuroscience, how do we communicate more effectively, how do we show up in the world, the, this merge between spirituality and neuroscience and energetics, all of this, it helps me to be a better human being, it helps me to understand myself better and one of the reasons I think that's so important for a lot of people is when you understand yourself better. There's a lot of space for grace and forgiveness of not trying to be like somebody else, not trying to follow somebody else's formula, but to go, okay, here's, here's some of the things that I do well. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can lean into that now. So I think when we become lifelong learners, when we go on this journey, it actually opens up a whole lot that we didn't even know existed versus if it's just like, I already know this and. I've been around entrepreneurs of all sorts. I've been around entrepreneurs that have been in business for a very long time, are very open to learning. They're curious. That's probably why we vibe well together. Um, and then I've met others where they think, well, I already know it all. I, I've been doing this for years and years and years, so I know it. And they've got a very closed mindset and the new things come along and I actually feel like they miss out a little. Because they're not open. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So this is what bubbled up for me. Do you think that when you're open and curious and lifelong learner, are, they, do we, are, are we those kinds of folks less likely to have the perfectionism issue that everything must be perfect before you
1: do anything? That's a good question because I like to say I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> it still bites me in the butt sometimes. And that's more from my upbringing. My mm. mother was the kind of woman that would put lipstick on to take out the garbage. So (laughs) I I think there's something to be said when, when we're open to learning, that's where innovation and creativity and all of that comes from. So I think when it comes to a a personality characteristic, that's an interesting one. I never really connected perfectionism and lifelong learning together. I'd be curious to see the people. Yeah. I don't have to do a survey. We're going to have to (laughs) do a survey, Andrea. We're going to have to figure this one out. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have a good answer for that one.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to transition this mindset into. Because perf- I think perfectionism holds a lot of people back uh, mm-hmm. need to be have everything completely organized and done um, prior to doing anything to even talking about it. I can't even whisper about it because it's not done yet. Mm-hmm. But I think that holds a lot of people back. So how would you coach someone through that, Andrea?
1: Well, one of the interesting things when we take a look at this, uh, just just for some stats for my my friends that are are nerdy like me. Um, this actually happens a lot more in women than in men. I was at Collision, which is a huge tech conference in Toronto before COVID, the year before COVID. So I guess two years ago now. Two years ago. And I went and I listened to, I can't remember what her position was, but she was really high up in Cisco. Okay. She was one of the C-suite in Cisco. And she was saying that one of the problems that they had, and this is from the tech industry when it comes to a lot of women, and this will tie back to the whole thing in a second, I promise, um, was that when they would post jobs, one of the things that they were finding with women was they'd look at the job posts, they'd look and they'd go, oh, out of the 10 criteria that are there, I have seven, I don't have the other three, I must not be good enough to apply men would look at the same job post, have three out of the 10 and go like, Oh, I got three, I'm going for this. (laughs) Yeah. So there is a little bit when we talk about the perfectionism streak, when it comes to to gender, and how women are raised and socialized a little bit, the neuroscience of the brain, like women are, and I'm generalizing here, but we're a lot more connected with our hemispheres in our brain. So we're a lot more attuned to facial expressions, gestures. And so I find when I'm working with people, the ones that are really perfectionistic, they've maybe been raised in a way where, or they've had life experiences where they are hyper aware Mm. of other people's reactions and they're making it mean something about themselves. So if they haven't done some of the personal development work on themselves, then what ends up happening is exactly what you were saying. Everything needs to be aligned before I even do anything. Why? Because it's actually like tamping down inside what's happening of that wanting to feel good enough. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting way when we start looking at perfectionism of what's really under there. And this is where I really believe the communities that you're in, the kind of people you talk to really helps you to go, oh, I'm not the only one that doesn't have all of my shit together all of the time. Wow, I know enough. I know, like, I'm two steps ahead of this person. I'm 10 steps ahead of this person, which means I can help raise this person up. We we don't have to know everything, but I think sometimes in kind of the expert economy that's really come out online and on social media, there can be this tendency to think we need to know everything about everything in order to put ourselves out there. And it's absolutely not true. We need Mm. to know some things, Got to be able to stand behind your offers and the kind of things that you're doing and that's good enough the rest of it you're going to learn along the way I look at my website right now and oh my god if anybody looks at it please don't laugh too hard like we did what we thought we were supposed to do when we hired that person and we learned and I look now and I'm like it's so outdated it's so corporate looking like talking about perfectionism I was taught that if you wanted to be an expert as a coach you had to show up in a black suit a white shirt like it's so steamy here right now in the morning if this would have been me a few years ago in my perfectionistic like streak i would have been in a full suit sweating my brains out i wouldn't be like feeling authentic at all and i'd feel like a penguin you know in my black suit so there's there's things i think we loosen up along the journey if we're around good people if we're connected to ourselves it's almost like taking, it's okay to remove this
0: facade we think we yeah. need to have of all that stuff.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go there on the offer side. So you talked about knowing your offers, you talked about being uh, comfortable with what you're promising. I guess it's almost like with what you're promising you'll do for people, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me about pricing. Tell me how do you put, what is the associated value? Do you yeah. price by the hour? Do you price by what the outcomes are? And how do you decide those numbers?
1: And this is such a great question. So one of the things that I like to take a look at is when I'm pricing an offer is I take a look at it from two perspectives. I take a look at what cause I mean, I, I primarily work with service-based people. So with products, I'll talk about products in, in, in just a second. Just remind me to touch on okay. products if I forget. Um, with service-based, I take a look at what is the end result going to do for the person? So I take a look, not just at what are the features and benefits of how much time am I going to spend in all of these things, but I look at what's it worth to them? How long have they potentially had a problem? How much time am I going to save them? What's it going to do for them in order to either be in this program or have this service? So I get an idea of that. And this is really important when it comes to pricing your things, because if you know you're going to save somebody tens of thousands of dollars and then you're pricing your service at 50 or $100, like it it doesn't balance out. And then it creates what's called cognitive dissonance. When when something doesn't quite match up, even people look and they're like, that doesn't make sense. So I look at that's the first perspective. What's it going to do for them? What's it worth to them? And then I look for myself. What's it going to take from me on the back end? How many hours am I going to put in? Who do I need to hire? What needs to be in place to actually keep amplifying the quality of the service and then I do something a little different I I do a little check-in because we're 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 in a body and our body is constantly giving us feedback so if somebody is super hyper logical I will literally have them do this put a hand on their head and a hand on their gut they've now proven that our gut is almost like a second brain and I'll have people close their eyes and and go through ranges of what they were thinking of pricing things So let's say 100 to $200, 200 to 300, let's say if it's for an event or some kind of a package, three to four and really feel into what actually feels right. Now, this is a little bit of a different way of doing it, right? Somebody that is super like heart-centered, super intuitive, I'll get them to put a hand on their heart, hand on their gut, do the same thing with the ranges. Here's why this is important is if you start getting to the upper end of the range and you start feeling a little like "Eh, that's too much and then you go and that's what you price it at and that's what you're making your offers at, you're not going to be able to hold it energetically. And what do I mean by that? If you can't hold it, if if there's like a little with you that it's not quite there yet, either because you haven't been in business that long, either because it's a new offer and you're not, 100% sure on all the the bells and whistles behind it, and then you go off for it, when you're having that conversation with somebody about it, something inside of you will shift. And then when you're uncomfortable, they're gonna pick up on it, Mm -hmm. but without knowing why. All of a sudden, they're gonna sense your discomfort, and then what happens at the unconscious level, we're constantly scanning our environment, like, is this safe? Do I trust this person? So if you all of a sudden get all, all squirmy, because you've priced yourself on like something that just energetically for you is a little out of your range for now, then they will pick up on it, right? It's almost
0: like, because it's like when you're on that outer fringe and you haven't got that feeling of alignment, at some
1: level, you don't believe it's worth that. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna pick up on that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I like to do when people are looking at increasing their pricing is, is, is find it where it's just starting to approach that upper limit where it's still like, okay, this, this, this feels good. I can get behind this and say, all right, do maybe three to five clients at that rate, right? And then and then we can bump it a bit and then see where you at. I remember the first, <laughs> this is kind of funny, the first year, uh, no, it was my second year in business. I, I sold an $18,000 package to four people. I never sold anything in that price range before, I worked my butt off that year, because I couldn't hold it yet energetically. So I treated every single phone call, every single interaction, like it was an $18,000 experience. So I over delivered that year, like nobody's business. (laughs) And it was just because I saw other people charging that, so I thought I will too. I was able to do it because I was able to connect with what they really wanted. But for me, oh man, that year was an interesting learning year. Now, you know, we we have those kind of programs and things, and I can carry it easily um, because I've grown into the confidence and I know I can deliver on certain things. So it was a, it was an interesting learning year for me. They all loved it, but it was. <laughs> you yeah, you charged eighteen and delivered thirty six. Yeah, what pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> pretty much. Oh man, the amount of trainings and live events, and we did a retreat in Montreal in a castle, and like all of these like cool things. It was amazing. Um, but because my worth mm. wasn't there yet, I I just over delivered like crazy that year. So it's not a bad thing. I mean, I learned from it. Um, so I take a look at all of these things when I'm doing pricing and I am not because you asked about you know do I price hourly or packages I personally prefer doing packages rather than hourly um, and it's it's possible in a lot of industries even when they've been used to charging hourly I'll, I'll tell you about one of our clients that comes from a very traditional like hourly wage model and what we did with him um, because i like encompassing everything that could potentially happen with a client i don't this is me personally again i don't like nickel and diming people like if i had to do a little extra work here if i had to do a little extra work there so i'm very upfront in what my packages include and if they have access to me you know in between our our coaching calls or in between our live trainings and now i price accordingly so people that maybe aren't at that level yet of needing that support. There's other things that are available for them. And so this way, it, it, it actually feels good for everybody. Mm. Um, so that's really my philosophy. The other part of it, when you charge hourly for certain things, people are just going to compare you on that. And they'll just go, and there's people like this out there in the world. We all know them. Where can I get it the cheapest? Not where, where can I get the best service? It's And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, that's where they are mentality wise. Maybe it really makes sense for them. In their life in that moment. Um, but that's it's it's just naturally gonna happen, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're doing the hourly. So we we had a client that's a Bowen therapist, and Bowen is very it, it falls under like the holistic health umbrella, so similar to physio osteo massage therapy, and those are typically where you charge just by the session. Mm -hmm. So we challenged him to create a package because we said, okay, how many sessions do you know somebody at the minimum will need to get some kind of relief? He said, well, at least three. So we said, okay, so create a package that it includes those three sessions, you know, a follow-up call. And he started getting people prepaying their packages, which meant then they actually came in and got the treatment they needed instead of like, oh, well, I'll just book my next session. Because a lot of times he said what would happen when people would leave, then he'd be waiting. You know, they'd book the next session when they thought they needed it. But as soon as they prepaid a package, well, guess what? Their next few sessions were booked in. It improved his cash flow. It improved the experience of the, in this case, patients that were coming in. So there is ways to do it, even in industries where people are used to paying the hourly, if you get a little creative about explaining to people why it's this way and what they're going to get out of it.
0: Mm.
1: Which translates next
0: nicely. Oh, sorry, products, Andrea, then we'll translate nicely into my products. next
1: <laughs> So products is a little different than than service-based in the sense of there's, there's a lot of competition for products. I mean, at the end of the day, it also comes down to taking a look at is, is it just completely product-based? Are you affiliated with a service-based industry? Because also service-based industries have products that are attached to them. They might have books or journals or, or, you know, other things. Um, so I think with, when it comes to products, it, there's more market research involved in terms of what the market will handle and really who is the client base, because there's a lot more that, you can do demographic wise with ads and things like this when it comes to products, because it's a a tangible thing. It's a tangible thing. And people are really, really educated these days. So let's say even if somebody's going to buy a car or a vacuum cleaner or whatever it is at that time, they'll probably have done a bunch of research on what do they want? Does it hit the specs? And then sometimes if, if you're a retail business, the difference that'll make the difference is the experience that you create for them. Even yeah. if the product costs a bit more because it's, it's something that's locally sourced, because it's something that is new to the market, if you can still create an experience around the product, they, people will pay for it. My, one, of my, one of my good friends, her name is Shauna Allen. She does a Modern Match Lingerie out in BC, and she does these boxes quarterly for women that are curated from local business owners, along with her lingerie. And she sends out these boxes every quarter for people that are in this membership box based thing to help women feel like absolutely delicious in their skin. I got one as a gift from a client. I opened it up and I was like, wow, it was so much cool stuff in here. So she even found a way to take products and create a box like membership reoccurring thing and it's the experience that the women got when you open up the box. Like for me, there was a candle, a necklace, a water bottle, this beautiful silk robe, nice pair mm. of uh, panties. So it was a whole experience. So I think when you look at products, you, you look at Apple, it's the experience. People that are diehard Apple owners, like it's, it's about the experience of what the brand stands for. So they'll pay more. Yeah.
0: Question. Um, yes. When you're dealing with... Uh, your entrepreneurs, because the interesting thing that came up to me is um, from a numbers perspective, when I when people are putting their pricing, uh, and I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of, um, they don't like to deal with their numbers. They just want to build product, provide service, et cetera, et cetera. And as long as they have something in the bank, they're okay. Uh, what have you seen on that uh, in terms of people making that journey from, say, being scared of their money to, to developing financial mastery?
1: I, I'm going to speak very directly into this because I was one of these people. Right? <laughs> I, I had this story and you know my story, so I'm, I'm very open to share it. I think part of the things that that happens with looking at numbers is it can be confronting for a lot of people. We talk about being lifelong learners of an area that they don't really understand. If you have not been taught about bookkeeping, if you've not been taught taught about budgeting and financials and all these things, for a lot of people, they become entrepreneurs and the the tendency is just, what do I have in the bank?
0: Mm -hmm. That's
1: it, right? Understanding a lot of the things. So for me, what ended up getting triggered and hopefully this will serve somebody else in, in my being like brutally transparent, Um was this whole feeling of being stupid. And I do not like to feel stupid. It is like so we had an accountant and I I knew that things were not set up in a way that it was modern. I mean, we were still doing things on Excel spreadsheets and it, it wasn't bad, but it just it wasn't tracked properly. But for a time it was easier for me to go along with it. Yeah. Because it didn't trigger that feeling inside of not. Like feeling dumb. Yeah. Because there's also this, when you put yourself out there and people look at you and you are the entrepreneur, but then you've got this area potentially that you don't feel as versed in, most people don't want anybody else to know that. Yeah. And so unfortunately, what ends up happening is, is shame and guilt and these emotions can then really block people from getting the help that they need. So, and to anybody that's here live or or listening to this replay, if you don't understand your numbers and you've never been taught it, it's okay because you've never learned it before. But this is where the rub comes where you've got a choice to, to start learning, to start getting support um, I'm so grateful that I met you. And we started, you know, we started reading profit first and some other tools on, on how to start looking at the numbers. And I think one of the things that helped us and I'm so, I'm so grateful because I, I trained my partner, my other half and all the coaching and all the things that I'm trained in, in doing some of the emotional intelligence and release work around these ideas that I wasn't good at numbers. I was just, No, it's not that I'm not good at numbers. It's just I never learned these things before. And also, that's never going to be my business. That is somebody else's business. That is a service that they provide because they geek out on numbers. They're amazing at it. How fabulous in this wonderful world of ours that there are people who are really, really good at this that can support me in my business. And so once I started wrapping kind of my head around that, like letting the emotions go, all of a sudden it was okay to get help. Nice. So I I think for a lot of people, and and hopefully this this is resonating and landing with people, it's okay to get help. It's okay if you've been feeling a little nervous or a little scared of looking at the numbers, it's okay. What's not okay is allowing that to, derail you and keep you like an ostrich with its head in the sand and the unfortunate thing with the ostrich is when its head is in the sand its butt is up in the air it is not a very dignified position and it's very easy to knock it over so we don't want to be like the ostrich with our finances (laughs) oh my god that's funny yep my visuals are ridiculous but I love it (laughs) Well,
0: thank you for sharing that story. And uh, my uh, thing where I'd like to go now is actually on sales and sales training, because I feel like that's another place of Mm ick. If numbers are icky, sales are icky, because all of a sudden now we're, oh my God, we're going to be the used car salesman. We're going to be Les Nessman from WKRP or whatever. (laughs) you know bad person we look at i don't know wolf of wall street whatever people are thinking sales is when it's you know and i think that we have not necessarily been served by some of the things like um oh i'm going to read this book on sales i'm going to learn the assumptive clothes i'm going to learn the puppy dog clothes i'm going to learn the blah 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 clothes So I know you have some stuff coming up um, and you've kind of broken down sales training into three distinct areas. Mm -hmm. So could you go over your approach to sales and what people, and and maybe how you think we should modernize our approach to sales and and how we do it?
1: Sure. Well, one of the things with sales, I mean, first of all, it's like you said, for a lot of people has an ick factor, just the word sales for some women And some entrepreneurs that I've talked to is enough to break them out in hives and make them want to run in the other direction. So it's, it's one of these things that if we don't actually start from where we are and start addressing it, we're not going to get anywhere because at the heart of it, that, that exchange of cash, when somebody pays for a service, pays for a product is what keeps the business running. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So one of the first things that that I do and the way I've broken it down, we, we, we take a look at the inner work of sales. So there's something coming up in September, which I'm super excited about. It's called Amplify Your Cash. And when we talk about how do you actually amplify your cash, the inner work of sales is your thoughts, your beliefs, all of the inner conversation that you are having around sales is important. Words are important. It's one of those things. If I say I have to do something versus I get to do something, I have a very different feeling inside you can probably just run that in your head right now. Like I have to do blah, blah, blah today, or I get to do blah, blah, blah today. You get a different feeling inside. And what most people don't realize is at least not consciously. I mean, we kind of know this at an unconscious level. When we talk to ourselves in a certain way, it creates different feelings inside of our body. And based on how we feel, we have very different actions and behaviors. We know this instinctively. Right? When we feel good, when we feel motivated and inspired, we're a lot more inclined to do the kind of things that we need to do, even if they're tough or challenging. And when we feel sad and uncomfortable or hurt, we don't want to do those kind of things. Now, if you think about the kind of languaging that most people have around sales running inside of them, either based on their past experiences, what they've seen out there, maybe trainings they've taken. And all of a sudden you've got this like snarl of things internally. And yet it comes into conflict a little bit with this knowing that we actually need to make the sales in order not just to keep the business running, but to make the impact we wanna make in the world in order to actually help people to get those products out there to make a difference. All of a sudden there's this push pull happening inside. So what we do first in Amplify Your Cash is start shifting some of this story and actually do some emotional release around sales so that people can have an increased confidence in how to approach those conversations, especially because a lot of the people I work with, they're still having conversations with people, right? It's not just just a a link, right? A lot of industries, you can just click on a link and that's great. Um, And there are other industries where depending on the the, either the complexity or how sensitive certain information is, you're still having conversations with people. Or if they're you know, potentially purchasing something that is a service that's going to go over several months or has a certain rate in it, they still want to have a conversation with people. So if we can actually start to shift the, the beliefs and the thinking around sales and the psychology behind how you approach it, all of a sudden you start seeing sales as, as a connected relationship with people, it starts to open up. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I really believe is when we can deal with what's going on in here and in here, the mindset and the emotions, then we can put strategy behind it and people will follow through with it. What most people do is let us just teach you the sales strategy, quote unquote, to close leads. I'm going to come back to languaging here again for a second. Who here likes to be closed? Yeah, I don't want somebody to close me. Like, it sounds really weird. I'm like,
0: You're going to put me in a box somewhere and
1: ship yeah, me. Yeah, I'm like, eh. <laughs> right. And I'm not somebody's lead. Like, they're panning for gold. You know, that all of that language, like prospecting leads, it all came from panning for gold, like hoping mm-hmm. you'd find something that was worthy. And so, a lot of the work that we do inside of Amplifying Your Cash is starting to have a new language around sales right we we don't close people right we have potential clients right you can close a deal um I still don't really like the language of close myself personally but so amplify your caches is is all about that like we do all of the shifts so that people are like okay now we can put some strategy around it right any questions there before I Go on because I get a little excited about this. So, no, no, no
0: keep going. No, no, no. So, section. So, the, so, now we've dealt with kind of our how we feel about sales yeah. and gotten some alignment in the sense of because I don't care what anyone says, we're all in sales every day, all day. It's just not called that. So, we're getting some synergy and some alignment, and maybe you can even take the word out of there. But anyway, so yes, yeah. you're okay with putting yourself out there and making offers and
1: that type yeah. of stuff yeah and this is and this is where we we have a lot of fun playing with words we have yeah. a lot of fun playing with words some of the words that i introduce to people they're like oh i never use this word in this kind of a context because at the end of the day if we can shift the language that people have around it and give them words that they can use that resonate and align all of a sudden again it, it opens up a new mm-hmm. way of looking at things and then the ability to follow through is there because you don't have those old associations with with the word that just doesn't work yeah well we'll talk about how many clients are are enrolling yeah instead of how many clients have you sold right it's it's a different kind of a conversation so I know a lot of our clients have a lot of fun with it It just yeah
0: so when we go back into the strategy side of things now that we've got the alignment what I also found through our work together is that you have a different approach there too in terms of almost um creating some kind of a
1: an emotional journey for people you're talking to about what you offer.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we, we actually do something. So this is, we, we separate this out. And again, we this use is some time for people. Part to two, enjoy. right? Yeah. This is part two. This is all about the strategy piece of sales. So we call this thrive, the receiving mm. sequence. And again, it, it, it's about how do you receive? And in order to receive when you are having a connected conversation with somebody, we use something that I came up with called the I cared conversation, right? I cared is not a script. It is a blueprint to understand how you take a potential client on an emotional journey to understand what do they really desire with some really key questions in there to, to really get like deep with them and, and do it quickly. It's not about spending five hours on the phone with them or five hours in a meeting. It's how do we go deep quickly and, and really get them into the heart of where are they, they feeling stuck or, or I'm going to say in the heart of what their challenge is and then bring them back up again into possibility. So there's, Mm. there's a flow. There's a psychology behind it. There's a way to hold leadership in that conversation so that people feel safe to open up around you. Because again, At the unconscious level, our unconscious mind is constantly scanning, am I safe? Mm -hmm. Do I trust this person, right? We've heard about like, no one trusts, but what's under there, that very like reptilian part of our brain is, am I safe? If people do not feel safe, they're not going to make that decision to work with you, right? So there's a way to actually have this flow, how to transition smoothly to the offer, how to handle questions. And so really what we do is show people how to lead that sales or enrollment. I call it enrollment conversation with finesse and really empower the person who is the potential client to say yes, because at the end of the day, it's their decision. It's not yours. It's not, it's not about manipulating people to get a yes. I can guarantee you there's lots of trainings like that out there. They'll teach you all kinds of like hacks of like, how do you get people to, to do things? Mm it works. That doesn't feel feel right though for people. Yeah, it it doesn't, at least not from the kind of people that I like working with. Like it it works. That's why it's been done for years, but I think we're really coming into globally because we're so interconnected. People are smarter. They want to be treated well. They want to be treated like real human beings. And if we look at what's possible, like when we do decide to invest in things and like If you know you've said yes to something, I know I've said yes to something. I own that decision. I feel great about it. Yeah. I feel like, wow, that person listened to me. They helped me make a decision. Great. And now I own that decision, which if you look at it from the other perspective as the entrepreneur, if your clients are now owning their decisions of they decided to invest, they decided to buy, they decided to purchase. It just, it actually, I'm going to say eliminates or lessens greatly people doing returns people wanting Mm -hmm. out of contracts because they own their decision right when it's kind of manipulated and slimy and all those things this is where you get people are like as soon as they're away from you they're like yeah I didn't really want that (laughs) yeah yeah,
0: exactly yeah well that's awesome so stay tuned we'll probably um be promoting those a little bit through our 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 social and things like that as well I'm going to open up the floor to some questions now um uh I'm gonna go with Melanie first because she's always good for a good question.
2: Oh, pressure. <laughs> um, wow, I was writing lots of notes. That was fascinating and touched on as a, you know, a first time entrepreneur, I've learned a lot. So thank you for being so generous and sharing. Oh. Um, one of the things that um, uh, you touched on is that you know overpricing, you know, and because we feel we are told this, you got a price, but you're not confident in it and how that manifests. And you mentioned that in a lot of places, if you're not comfortable, which is why you need to do the inner work, you're, um, you're not going to relay your value in the way that's going to resonate with people. So on the other side of things, with a lot of female entrepreneurs, we chronically, and I know both you and Wendy, deal with this a lot we chronically undervalue our services because of that um you talked about perfectionism before and I think sometimes just that we're so cultured to please and want to and to serve and the idea of service and money can sometimes and being paid for your services can really feel at odds so how do you deal with that because if I you know as a fruit I've V life was going to be free. I don't know how we were going to make it work, but V life was going to be free for everybody, <laughs> no advertising, all the things. So I knew logically that was, but as an extreme example, um, and then you know, but wanting as a social enterprise to make it fair and equitable and affordable and accessible. So when you have all of that jumbled around, how do you help people who are chronically undervaluing? Is it just the inner work, and then like how does that work? Because if I <laughs> early on had sat with my head or, or my heart over both because I'm kind of in between both, um, it wouldn't have felt good either way. <laughs> to charge yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah.
1: This is this is such a good question. This, I'm gonna answer it twofold because one is again from the internal way and then the other part is from strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely sounds like this for you specifically might be an area where where some inner work does need to get done. A lot of us have really conflicting thoughts around money in general
2: mm-hmm.
1: that we bring into entrepreneurship. So like mm-hmm. you, were, you were saying, where it's tied in with wanting to be of service. And if you look as a society, there's mm-hmm. a lot of story around <sighs> valuing like our unsung heroes, the, the people that sacrifice almost that that martyr type syndrome, you know, the mm-hmm. the woman that works herself to the bone to please everybody else, and so there there might be some of that kind of of languaging and programming running at an unconscious level. So,
2: mm-hmm. the
1: first part of of any of this is starting to become aware of like what what's going on. You you sound like you're already aware that some yeah. of this is going <laughs> on, right?
2: Yeah, real life isn't free. Just
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's it's really good that you're aware because some people aren't aware. They're, they're not even aware that this is showing up in their lives. And then they look and they go, I, I don't understand why I'm not getting what I want in my business. It's like, yeah. you're, you're not charging anybody or you're not charging enough to actually make this work. What, what's going on here? So part of that is, is getting, and you can do some journaling around this of just write the word money and do a little bubble and do a little brain dump of like all the things that come up. When you look at the word money, you might have some really positives. You might have some like, eh, (laughs) and then you can take a look at the ones that are a little eh, and, and start going like, okay, is, is this really true? Mm -hmm. Is this helping me right now? If no, then how would I like to be feeling about this instead? How would I like to be thinking? Right. And at least you can start tackling it from that conscious level. And then if you ever have an opportunity to do some work with people that are trained to actually shift things at the unconscious level, it just goes so much faster, right? It's like changing the programming in a computer versus like manually trying to just move stuff around. Um, But whatever you do, as long as you can start getting the awareness of it and start asking yourself like, is this really true? What would I like to believe instead? How can I come about this? That's gonna start at least shifting the languaging around what you're thinking about money. So when that happens, then you can come back into it and go, okay, so if it's actually true, for example, that money is one of the things that's going to help the business thrive and it's going to help me hire people and it's going to help me to, um, and then, you know, if I hire those people, whether it's on contract or as employees, then it actually means that they're able to contribute to the economy. I'm contributing to the economy. You start to shift your persona of who are you as a woman who has money and has wealth and then if you do that now you start to look at your pricing and go oh if this is true and I love the word if because it kind of slips past your mind then you can't really argue with it with yourself if if is one of those great questions It just kind of like loosens the pickle jar up here a little bit loosens the pickle jar yeah, yeah. just okay, write that just, one you down. Know, you know that pickle jar that you can't open because it's stuck? <laughs> just, you know, when you loosen it a bit, all of a sudden you're able to open it and you're able to crack it open. It's kind of like that. So if is one of those questions that just loosens what's going on up here. If it was true that money's going to help me do this, this and that, if it was true that it will allow me to actually be a source of abundance in the world, if it was true that, 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 that whatever is like a feel good feeling around money, and then you look at your pricing, you'll probably find that you're able to shift it because now your identity as a woman with money and a woman with wealth and a woman, dot, 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 whatever you put in there is able to align with the kind of pricing that will probably go up.
2: Yeah, that that was, was amazing. Super helpful, thank you.
1: You're welcome. Yeah. I think that's that a actually- a way to answer it, but I wanted to give you something that you could actually use. <laughs> yeah, you, you have the whole session. That's so. <laughs> I have to say um,
0: that I think that question will actually serve a lot of people because I do think there is um, issues around underpricing and tying that all to identity and almost like uh, sales. Um, you know, sales not being a personal rejection; they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting. They don't need what you're offering at this point or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle, I'm going to bring you in. If you, oh, there's Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Here's, there Hi. You go. Hi Michelle. Excuse
1: me. <laughs> Uh, Thanks so much for this Andrea this is great Um, as a I'm a coach as well and so there was a lot that you were saying that I I was like oh yes oh yes (laughs) that (laughs) completely understand that Um, in terms of your experiences and those some of those beliefs that we have and but what was interesting to me and maybe um, you could just explain a little bit more I know that you have developed Uh, systems and and programs when you when somebody signs on for those or enrolls in those with you is that program something that like is flexible and it shifts with them do you tailor it to them specifically or is it just is it kind of that step-by-step process for everybody that's such a good question so when I was first starting out it was very much a here, here's the step-by-step process, right? Now, just because I have more experience and I have different ways of of people engaging in how we work together, I'm able to say, okay, for for example, um, somebody that has already done a lot of work, let's say around sales, around their mindset around money, maybe they don't need that program, but they really want some support in following through on things, then they might come in and we're doing one-on-one coaching. And really that whole process is based on what do they want and what's the plan to get them there, right? So it's, it's very customized to them. I don't take a lot of people at that level just because not everybody's ready for that kind of intensity or that kind of investment. But then the programs are there for the people that are like, that's the one piece that I need. So I, I take a look at it more as a puzzle right now of which piece of the puzzle do they need right now? And the way I run it, it, it when we can talk about this, because I'm just keeping an eye on the time, we can talk about this a little bit more after, um, is a little different in the sense of I don't need to do big, crazy program launches. I do a lot of intimate things with people. And I mean, it's a multi six-figure business consistently. So it's one of these things where you've got to look at at the heart of it what do you want what do your people need we we just shifted a lot of how we do things because i was doing it a certain way for three years i got a lot of data and feedback from my clients of what did i love to do so it's changing and i think that's that's the nature of it as you go and grow as a coach you're gonna find like what's your stride
2: awesome yeah, Thank you.
0: So much. Well, um, I really want to say this uh, episode of The Real Bottom Line has been fascinating. I learned so much. I really want to say when it comes down to The Real Bottom Line, if this is true, we'll loosen the pickle jar. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andrea, for coming today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.